Good morning. <clears throat> so, my name is Saul. I'm the care pastor here. And we are going to play a little game to get started. And this is going to be a bit unconventional, but why not? Um, I'm American, so I can always just blame it on that. Uh, so, we're going we're gonna to play a little a song here that is kind of the antithesis of the topic that we're going to be discussing today, which is pardon. And so I'm not going to give you any more hints than that, but uh, we're going to play just a few seconds of it, and I'm going to see if anyone can uh, guess what the, what the, who wrote the song, who's performing the song, and the name of the song. Okay, so hit it, Kay. Hey! Stop. Got, got the paper. What? I heard it. Now, if you were in the if you were in the nine fifteen, that's no fair, because I did this there too. I don't know to mixed reviews, maybe. Uh, who 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 had it? James Brown. That's right. Anybody know the title? The Payback. Man, you guys are on it. First try. That's really good. That's uh, The Payback by James Brown, the godfather of soul, as he's otherwise known. Um, and that song is about revenge. I, I came across, I would already knew about the song, but I was reminded of it when I was trying to think of illustrations for this morning's message. And I thought, I wonder how many uh, revenge songs are out there. And I, I did a search on revenge song and got back millions of hits. Uh, did another search on revenge movies, revenge films. Again, millions of hits. And I, it just struck me that as a culture... Uh, I think same same in America. Most of these movies that I'm going to mention were, were were made in America. But movies like uh, the the Gladiator, uh, the Payback is one. Uh, v is for Vendetta. Um, there's one not so subtly entitled Revenge. That's a recent film. Um, and as a culture, we seem to be a bit. Uh, I don't know if obsessed is the right word. Taken with the notion of revenge. Um, we, we kind of root for the person who's been wronged, and we are, kind of look forward to the point in the film when, when they get their, their revenge, when justice is served. You know, all these films, they have kind of a similar narrative arc. They start with a person who is kind of going about their life, a somewhat good person, family, uh, job and they're they're doing their best and then something really bad happens to them and for narrative purposes the the worse the thing is that happens to them the better because it brings them to a lower low and then it's more uh, suspenseful where we 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 um, we are endeared to them a bit more because of these wrongs that they have suffered these injustices, and then they slowly make their way back into some form of, uh, through some form of recovery, some form of um, strengthening that takes place until they get to the point where they're finally able to hold the perpetrators to account. 
and justice is served, and the more poetic the justice, the more unrepentant the perpetrator, the, the more we enjoy it when they get what they deserve. We uh, recently saw the new Jurassic Park film, and, you know, it's the similar plot line in, in those films. There's always a, a character who is the sort of evil dinosaur hunter, you know, and, uh, and in this one, they have the evil dinosaur hunter and his, his particular thing that makes him stand out amongst other Jurassic Park villains is he likes to, uh, once the dinosaurs are sedated, he likes to go into their cage with a pliers and take one of their teeth and quite cruelly. And, and uh, he comments to himself, oh, you'll feel that when you wake up. And and, and, you know, we automatically don't like this guy because of that, even though they are dinosaurs who wind up eating everybody. But that doesn't seem to matter. Uh, we, we still don't like him. And in the end, when he goes to take a dinosaur tooth and the dinosaur turns out to have just been faking and wakes up and bites this guy's arm off, it's just, you know, the revenge bit in us rejoices that he finally got what he deserved Maybe that's just me. I don't know. Uh, And so we've been in this series uh, about Joseph and life in technicolor, and it's about having life in all its hues, the the fullness of life. And um, if you look at at this topic, pardon, then you might wonder, what does that have to do with having life in all its fullness? But being in the position of needing pardon and being in the position of having been granted pardon or being able to grant pardon to somebody else is part of the full life experience. It's something that we all go through on on both sides of it. And it's just part of what makes us human, uh, part of what what connects us to God, in fact, uh, in in quite profound ways. It's just part of life. And, uh, of course, this opposite of pardon is revenge. And if you look at Joseph's story, it really sets itself up to become this great revenge story. I mean, it's got all the makings of a great revenge story from the, from the very beginning. And so we're going we're gonna to do something a little bit different this morning. I'm going to uh, tell you I'm going to sort of retell the story of Joseph up to the point where we're at. And we've been doing this series for a while. If you're not familiar with it, you can go back to, say, Genesis 37. And we're going to work our way all the way to Genesis 50. Uh, And so that's 13 chapters, so quite a bit of material. I'm just going to retell that and get us up to Genesis 50. And as I'm doing that, I want you to be asking yourself a question. And the question is, who do I identify with in this story? Who who is the spirit kind of nudging me about in this story? And and at what point in the story and in what place in the story do I see myself? And so you can just be asking God that as we go along. Uh, So... To start out, back when Joseph is 17 years old, the text tells us, uh, he's the son of Jacob, who has 12 sons, and he's the favorite son of four wives, the oldest of Jacob's favorite son. 
Uh, he's got a younger brother named Benjamin. And the rest of the brothers don't take too kindly to the fact that he's the favorite. And on top of him being the favorite and getting all the benefits that the favorite gets, he's also somewhat naive. And he shares with his brothers these dreams that he has about uh, them all bowing, essentially about them all bowing down to him. And that just sort of incenses them even further. And so one day he's, he's meeting them out in the fields and here he comes and the other brothers are already there and they see him coming and they make this plot basically to kill him because they just can't stand it anymore. Um, and so they grab him and they toss him into a pit and um, they're going to kill him. But then Judah um, makes, a, makes a, a plea to the brothers and says, comes up with this idea, hey, if we just kill him, what good is that going to do us? Let's, uh, let's just sell him into slavery instead. And so um, they do that. They do that. And they, they sell him into slavery. And um, he... During this time in slavery, he is unjustly accused of something. He's put into prison. He spends a bunch of time in prison. And in that time, at, at some point, the last two years, the cup baker, or sorry, the cup bearer and the baker come to him with these dreams. He interprets the dreams. Two years later, it gets, gets back to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh has a dream. He calls Joseph out of prison to interpret this dream. Joseph does interpret the dream, and and you know the story. Egypt is going to have seven years of abundance, and then there's going to be seven years of famine. And Pharaoh says, we've got to prepare for this. Who better to do it than Joseph? And so he puts Joseph as the second in command of all of Egypt in charge of gathering resources during the seven years of abundance, and then sort of uh, doling them out um, during the, the seven years of famine so that not only does Egypt not starve, but also some of the surrounding nations don't starve. And scripture tells us that Joseph is 30 years old when he's put in this position. So he was sold into slavery at 17, betrayed by his brothers, who, uh, by the way, went back to their father with a, a piece of cloth, uh, a piece of his, his, his coat that has blood on it from an animal. And they say, look, we found this. We don't know what happened to Joseph, but um, you, know, you, you look at it yourself and see if, it's, if it belonged to Joseph and Jacob. The father is, begins grieving and the brothers are perfectly content to let him grieve and think that, that Joseph has died you know, based on this evidence that they manufactured. And so now it's 13 years later from that time. He's 30. Think of a difference between a 17-year-old and a 30-year-old. Think of the difference between yourself, if you happen to be of this age, when you were 17 versus when you were 30. All the changes that you went through, all the things that you'd been through, the different person that you are at 30 than you were at 17. And so Joseph begins doing this job that Pharaoh commissioned him to do, and he saves the food through the seven years of abundance. So now he's 37, 20 years 
since he was sold into slavery, 37. And then it's in the second year of the famine, we find out later on, that his brothers turn up in Egypt looking for food. So now he's 39. It's been 22 years since Joseph, as a 17-year-old, was violently ripped out of everything that he knew to be home and life and community and connection, taken to a foreign land. During this uh, time in Pharaoh's house, the nine years uh, that he was in this new position since he was 30, he got married to an Egyptian official's wife. He had two children, two boys, uh, Ephraim and and Manasseh. And um, their, their names... Uh, part of their, their names reflect this idea, and Joseph says in, in the text that God has caused me to forget everything that happened back, back when I was in my father's house. You know, the, the, the rejection, the betrayal, the abandonment. And so Joseph has kind of moved on. He's married, he's got kids, he's got this great job, he's got all this power, he's doing something meaningful. And doing his regular thing, handing out grain to people who are coming. And then, boom, there they are. His brothers, all of them but Benjamin, waiting in line for grain. Can you imagine? It's been 22 years. He probably never thought he'd see him again. He had moved on. And now he's confronted with them. But they don't notice him. Because, see, he doesn't look like he looked when he was 17 years old. He's 39 now. He looks like an Egyptian. He talks like an Egyptian. Uh, He's in the position only an Egyptian could be in, apparently. So I think maybe just out of not knowing what to do, he, he approaches them and he accuses them of being spies. And, um... It looks like at first, this is going to be a revenge. This is where the revenge bit comes in. You know, you wronged me, but guess what? I'm back. And now you're going to get it. You're spies. He has them thrown into prison for three days. Uh, And if he did want revenge, well, he's got them right where he wants them. I mean, he owes them. Like, they are guilty, and he's got the power. And this person who they've come to appeal to for food, they have no idea that it's the very same person that they sold into slavery, their brother. It's perfect. It's perfect if it was revenge. They would never even see it coming. And so... uh, you know, if, if, it was, if, if we believed in a karma system, we'd say karma has come back. But since they're Hebrew, an eye for an eye. Reap what you sow. I mean, it's all there. But the axe actually doesn't fall. And the hammer doesn't drop. And if you're a revenge fan, you might be thinking, you know, that's okay. Maybe Joseph isn't one of these revenge people who just come right out and get their revenge. Maybe he's one of these revenge people that's a bit more measured. 
You know, maybe he wants to play a little cat and mouse with them and just kind of savor the moment a little bit. Uh, So, at the end of the three days that his brothers are in in prison, he brings them out and he does seem to have a bit of a plan. And what his plan is, is, you know, I, I, he tells them, he's speaking to them through an interpreter, I, I think you're spies. It's just as I said, I think you're spies. And I'm going to send you back home. You say you have this brother back home. Well, go get him and bring him to me. And, um, you know, if you show up here without him, it's going to be big trouble. And to make sure that you come back, I'm going to keep one of you. So he keeps Simeon. And um, they do it. Now, it takes him a while to get back because Jacob doesn't want to let Benjamin go back with them. And the brothers don't seem to protest too much about this. They seem to kind of take their time a little, but they do make it back with Benjamin. And so now Joseph's got them. If you're hoping for revenge, oh man, it looks like you're really going to get it. All the brothers are there now. You know, he's lured them all back. And so he cooks up this, this next plot and he sets them up to make it look like Benjamin has stolen his silver cup. And so he plants this cup in Benjamin's bag and then sends them back home. And then he sends his man after them to, to, to stop them and to say, you've stolen this cup and to search the bags and to find the cup and to bring them back if, if he does. And sure enough, this all happens. The cup is found in Benjamin's bag. And now you might be thinking, this is the moment. This is the moment. They're even confessing their guilt before Joseph. The cup is there. They're caught. There's nothing they can say. There's nothing they can do. They have no power. No possible way to defend themselves. But then something different happens. Judah, one of the brothers, makes a a plea to Joseph for Benjamin's life, offering himself as a slave in Benjamin's place. In Genesis 34, 30 to 33, it says, If the boy is not with us, this is Judah talking to uh, Joseph, If the boy is not with us when I go back to your servant, my father, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life, sees that the boy isn't there, he will die. Your servants will bring the gray head of our father down to the grave in sorrow. Your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. Now then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy and let the boy return with his brothers. Now, this is significant because, remember, Judah was the one who argued to sell Jacob, or sorry, Joseph into slavery these 22 years before. Now here, he's offering himself to become the slave in the place of Joseph. Then, uh, down in Genesis 37, 26, later it says, um, I'm sorry, that was the, that's the passage where, um, where, where, where Judah uh, made the argument to, to make Joseph a slave. And, and I want to say, that is, the, that is what being a good guy looked like back then. <laughs> you know, they were going to kill him, but they just made him a slave 
instead. And so I don't know what's different with Judah, but something has changed. Something has changed in him. Maybe he he felt guilty. Maybe he couldn't bear his father's grief again. But something has changed. And and when uh, Joseph sees this, he just, he can't take it anymore. He's overwhelmed. And so in Genesis 45, it says, Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers, and he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Because it's the first thing that he asked them after revealing himself, perhaps the one thing that Joseph was still unsure about was whether or not his father is even still alive. For all he knew, his brothers had killed him. Reuben, you might remember, back in Genesis thirty-five twenty-two actually slept with Jacob, one of Jacob's wives, perhaps in a, in a bid to take over the family. I mean, this is some bunch of guys here. But, uh, and so, you know, if revenge was the, in play, then this would, this would definitely be the time because now Joseph has revealed himself. But he goes on in Genesis 45, 4. It says, then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. This isn't a story about revenge at all. This is a story about pardon. This is not how the revenge plot goes. But if we're wondering why Joseph is going towards pardon and not revenge then the next bit uh, might tell us. It says, Do not be distressed, do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there's been famine in the land, and for the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. Joseph isn't getting revenge because he is able to look back over the past 22 years and see how God has used this time of suffering. And I'm not saying that it was easy. I'm not saying that it was painless. I'm not saying that it wasn't absolutely horrible and tragic because it was all of those things. And... God used it to save hundreds of thousands of lives, perhaps millions of lives, for every day that that 17-year-old Joseph spent in prison or enslaved. Later, thousands of children who would have starved and died, who, who, who would have not made it through the malnutrition, had a meal, breakfast, lunch, dinner. They had food and they made it because of his suffering and this injustice. The passage goes on. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. 
You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me, you and your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded me in Egypt and about everything you have seen, and bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept, and Benjamin embraced him, weeping, and he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterwards, his brothers talked with him. Now all seems well, right? That's the big moment of reconciliation. And so the brothers do exactly what what Joseph uh, recommends. They go get Jacob. They get all their families. They come down to Egypt. They take up residence. They're they're fruitful. Uh, And and they, they live there for many years, setting the stage for Moses to come into the scene later for the exodus to take place, for the uh, Hebrew people to go into the promised land. And, and, and all seems to be well, but then in chapter 50, uh, we, we see Jacob dies. And it seems that there might still be a little uneasiness in the family because in verse 15 it says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? And perhaps they're thinking now with Jacob out of the picture, Joseph is going to finally give them what, what he deserves or what they deserve. Maybe this now is the time for revenge. So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. And when their message came to him, Joseph wept. Now, it doesn't say why exactly Joseph wept. Maybe it's because his brothers don't really believe that he's forgiven them. Or maybe it's because there's no record in the text of Jacob actually saying that. It it almost seems like uh, the brothers are sort of leveraging the recent death of their father to ensure their safety with Joseph. But for whatever reason, he's weeping and uh, in Genesis fifty eighteen, it says, His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. Again with the bowing down. Second time they've bowed down to him. Fulfilling the dream that he had when he was 17 that caused them to throw him into the pit to begin with. And here it's happening. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Three times, Joseph reassures his brothers that they are not going to get what they deserve from him, which is justice. And you know, a lot of commentaries on this passage of these these chapters of scripture uh, talk about this story as a story of forgiveness Um, and it is that but it is also more profound than forgiveness alone and there's a lot more I could say about that but I just want to point out three things first 
as you may have picked up in a lot of ways, Joseph's life looks a lot like Jesus' life. Joseph is a type of Jesus. He suffered, and through his suffering, millions of people were saved. Jesus suffered unjustly like Joseph, and through his suffering, through his death, through his resurrection, millions of souls were saved and are still being saved. Second thing to point out is that this interchange with Joseph's brothers is about grace. It's about a group of people who deserved punishment, who deserved justice. But they didn't get justice, they got grace. And they got a new life. And the third thing to point out is that this is a man, Joseph, who after 22 years was able to find purpose in his pain. And I don't think he would have found that purpose while he was in the prison, while he was in the pit, while he was enslaved. It took 22 years for the purpose to reveal itself. 22 years for him to see the restoration that God would work out. And up until then, there were some very difficult, painful, tragic, horrible times. So, as we close, I'd like to ask you again to reflect on who are you in this passage? Who are you in this story? And I want to invite the worship band to come back up again and have you just reflecting on that as we go into a time of worship. And as they get set up, I'm going to give you three options to think about, but there are a lot of characters in this story that you might feel drawn to or connected with. But here's three options that you might consider. The first is, maybe you can relate to Joseph's brothers. You've done something, it seemed like a good idea at the time, but you know it's wrong. You deserve justice, but really what you need is grace. Second, maybe you see yourself as a young Joseph, and you're in the pit, you're in the midst of the pain, And it doesn't feel like purpose. It just feels like chaos. It just feels horrible. It feels like your life is ending like Joseph's life ended when they threw him in the pit and and, and a new journey began for him, one that he wouldn't have chosen. Third, maybe you see yourself as an older Joseph. You've been restored and you've got the power and somebody needs your pardon. And you're trying to decide whether or not to give it. And you're not sure what to do with them. And you might be bitter and you might be resentful. uh, But I just want to point out that God can turn your pain into purpose the way that he did for Joseph. And forgiving doesn't mean that you have to make yourself vulnerable again. Uh, Joseph certainly wasn't vulnerable to his brothers. There were boundaries set up. But he was able to choose to let it go, to turn it over to God to deal with so that he could be free of resentment, so that he didn't miss the blessing that God had for him. Because if he had stayed in resentment, he might have missed it. He might have missed it. So however you see yourself, maybe in more than one position, maybe in them all, just bring that to God as we go into worship. Let him speak to your heart. Let him stir something in you and convict you about what he might have you do.
with what you've heard today.